Early in the race to replace Jason Kenney as leader of Alberta's Conservatives, the conversation has turned to the province's place in Confederation, with one frontrunner pushing an aggressive strategy. Danielle Smith is proposing an Alberta Sovereignty Act which would allow the province to supersede federal law deemed not to be in Alberta's interests. I'm Dave Breckenridge and this is 10-3. National Post reporter Tyler Dawson joins me to discuss the thinking behind the Free Alberta Strategy, how it could potentially be used, and why some feel it's a constitutional crisis waiting to happen. Don't forget you can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, we're even on Amazon Music now. I'd love it if you could leave us a rating, a review, and tell your friends about us. So Tyler, we're about a month in to the conservative leadership race, only a few days in officially as the party just recently released all the rules and deadlines and membership sales and, and all that sort of stuff. But the race to replace Jason Kenney has been going on for about a month. And for the most part, it's been, not that it's been quiet because there's eight candidates in the race so far, but we haven't seen a lot of discussion about where people want to take the party. And I assume that will come in the next couple of months. But as of right now, one idea that has really stuck out has been this notion that Alberta is not getting a fair shake from the federal government and Alberta needs to do something about it. And this all kind of comes up with this notion of the Alberta Sovereignty Act and the Free Alberta Strategy. And I'm just wondering, can you just give me an overview of what the Free Alberta Strategy is? So the Free Alberta Strategy is one of a few position papers or discussion papers that have come out in the last couple of years that sort of deal with this idea that Alberta is alienated. Alberta is the unloved stepchild of Confederation. Alberta is being treated poorly by Ottawa, being disrespected by Quebec and British Columbia, and that something must be done about it. You know, you did a similar sort of project with the Buffalo Declaration a couple of years ago, and the Free Alberta Strategy is just sort of, in some ways, the latest and in some ways, you know, the most extreme sort of iteration of this. And, you know, this isn't a new theme, of course, this idea that Alberta is is treated poorly. This goes back, you know, decades and decades and decades. So in that sense, there's nothing new about it. What is new is sort of the, the tactical ways in which the Free Alberta Strategy proposes to try and make Alberta more autonomous and more respected within Confederation. And who's behind this idea of this Free Alberta Strategy? And what do they purport Alberta should do? Well, it's sort of the brainchild of three people. Barry Cooper, who's a political scientist at the University of Calgary. Rob Anderson, who's a former Wild Rose MLA. And David Fromm, who is a constitutional lawyer. And it's a long-ish document with a bunch of different ideas. But really, the, the keystone idea is this Alberta Sovereignty Act. And what it says is that Alberta should be able to pass this law. And that would mean that Alberta could say no to a federal government decision. So let's say the Alberta government decides it no longer wants to enforce drunk driving laws. We don't care, perhaps, about the criminal code provisions that allow for police to stop and breathalyze and charge drunk drivers. They would invoke the Alberta Sovereignty Act in that instance, and the police working in Alberta would no longer be allowed to enforce that provision of the criminal code. That'd be one example of it. And it's actually... It's not a realistic example, but it's a good example because the criminal code is a federal law that is more or less enforced by the provinces. Mm -hmm. So it's a good example in that regard, in, in terms of the sort of um, division of powers and division of enforcement, let's say. Taking that extreme example 
aside, what would be the point of the government doing that? Why would the province want to turn around and say, hey, we don't like this law, we're just not going to enforce it? Well, the idea is that the federal government is openly hostile towards Alberta and Alberta's interests. And so if a law is passed federally, or if there's a regulatory decision made federally, or if there is a court ruling made from the Supreme Court or the federal court, that Alberta would simply say, nope, this is not in our interests. This this is not good for us. This is being unkind to us. This is hampering our economic development. We simply shall not follow that law. So that brings us to the UCP leadership race. And one of the early front-running candidates, former Wild Rose leader Daniel Smith, former radio host in Alberta, fairly popular in the conservative movement, she has come out and she has said that the first act of her government, should she become premier, she would introduce legislation to essentially make the Free Alberta Strategy a reality with the Alberta Sovereignty Act. And what has she had to say about why she is making this the cornerstone of her leadership campaign. Well, Daniel Smith has sort of for a long time been talking about this idea that Alberta does not have enough autonomy and is disrespected within Confederation. So it's not an especially new position for her to be taking. I suppose it is new in the sense that she has endorsed this extreme, relatively fringe tactic. So, but but she's been talking about this stuff for a long time, and she just sees it as very important to find a way to stand up for Alberta to fight back against Ottawa. And you know it's really neither here nor there whether or not she thinks that's a good idea. What does matter is that this is the sort of thing that you hear a lot from members of the United Conservative Party, that they feel that Jason Kenney was way too nice to Justin Trudeau, that far more needs to be done to fight back, that Jason Kenney's strategy of, of litigation and of holding the equalization referendum were sort of ineffective strategies. So there is a lot of, I think, among the UCP's base and the UCP membership frustration in the way that Alberta has frankly not been that effective at achieving some of its goals in terms of getting more autonomy and getting more power from Ottawa. And so in that sense, it's, um, you know, it's the first sort of red meat proposal we've seen, I think, from the leadership candidates by and large. So, that, so there's that. But um, it also very much goes to show how important, how large this idea of Ottawa being mean to Alberta looms in sort of the United Conservative mind. I have to admit, I, I do find it interesting. You know, we follow Alberta politics continually. And I think one of the biggest criticisms from elsewhere in the province about Jason Kenney is that he just seemed to always want to be in a fight with Justin Trudeau and Justin Trudeau kind of lived rent free in his head. So it is odd to see people coming out and saying that he was too easy on the prime minister, didn't get enough done to help advance Alberta's interests. I, (laughs) that is an odd tactic, but I am curious, like, what does Daniel Smith say is kind of the motivation for this? Like, what what examples does she point to in how Canada operates now that would justify taking such a position? You know, the example that she gave to me when I spoke to her recently was the Impact Assessment Act. So listeners will remember this whole debate over Bill C-69, which overhauled the way that projects are evaluated in Canada for sort of, and you know, so this is things like new oil sands mines. This is things like coal mines. This is also things like highways, if they meet sort of certain environmental criteria. So basically what Daniel Smith was saying was, you know, look, if we're building a highway in Alberta and it goes through the impact assessment agency and they say, no, this highway can't be built within Alberta, we don't like the environmental effects of it or whatever, she would say, no, well, simply we will issue a provincial permit and the powers that be in Alberta will not enforce this federal permit and the highway will go ahead and be constructed. So that's one of the sort of concrete examples that she gave of it. The Free Alberta Strategy itself 
creates this large and complicated, shall we say, structure that allow for this. So, you know, to take the example of the carbon tax, the Free Alberta strategy argues that the Alberta Sovereignty Act could be used to stop gas stations from collecting the carbon tax. And in order to avoid getting in trouble with the federal government, Alberta would create its own revenue agency and the gas station would have to bank with Alberta Treasury Branch. And or I guess it, I think it's ATB Financial now. I seem to recall a name change a few years ago. So it would create this whole, whole sort of elaborate structure that would allow for the sidestepping of some of these federal rules, or theory would allow for that. Daniel Smith's proposal in comparison, I don't think I'm being too opinionated on it when I say that it's a little bit more modest and it's not really talking about you know, sort of overhauling some of the structures and the way the country operates in quite so robust a fashion. We'll be right back. Now, some of the examples I've heard tossed around relate to Quebec and its new language law, Bill 96, I believe, and then BC asking the federal government to decriminalize simple possession so that police don't have to enforce that law as a way of trying to deal with the overdose crisis. Why are those examples kind of important for Smith's argument in saying that we need to do this? The first thing I would say is this. The best example, actually, of a provincial government simply disregarding a federal law is in the 1970s and 80s when Henry Morgenthaler was being acquitted by juries and Quebec sort of stopped enforcing federal abortion law. Mm-hmm. So that that is actually a, sort of a more material example. The way when Daniel Smith talks about Quebec and the notwithstanding clause in Bill 96 and British Columbia seeking an exemption for simple possession. What she's basically saying is, and basically said as much to me, is that other provinces are doing this, other provinces are getting away with this. Well, you know, why shouldn't we? Now, there were a group of experts at the University of Calgary, I believe, who wrote a piece the other day arguing that that argument is mistaken. What they said is this, Bill 96, when the Quebec government passes this and uses the notwithstanding clause, the notwithstanding clause is part of the Constitution. They are invoking a constitutional principle to do something. That is maybe unpalatable, maybe it's bad politics, but it's perfectly constitutional as the order is set up, the constitutional order is set up. Mm-hmm. When British Columbia seeks an exemption from the Controlled Drugs and Substances Act, that is also in there to seek a ministerial exemption. Listeners will remember the Insight supervised injection site in Vancouver. That had a ministerial exemption from the Controlled Drugs and Substances Act under the governments of the day. So really, while those are examples of Quebec and British Columbia sort of doing things that the laws maybe on the face of them don't allow for, or that on the face of them the Constitution doesn't allow for, they are actually exercising mechanisms that exist within those laws, within the Constitution, in order to make that happen. So the difference here is that, as the experts say, is that this is sort of sidestepping or overthrowing the constitutional order. It's not working with the pieces as they exist. So if there are measures in the constitution and in the framework of the federation that allow provinces either to throw the notwithstanding clause into controversial legislation or ask the feds for exemptions to legislation or challenge federal law in the courts, why do the proponents of this notion of an Alberta Sovereignty Act or the Free Alberta Strategy feel that we need this nuclear option? Well, the short answer to that is because they feel that the sort of the constitutional order isn't working for Alberta. 
they're fully admitting this is unconstitutional and that this would create a constitutional crisis and and force a confrontation between the federal government and Alberta. You know, I, I spoke to Rob Anderson a, a few days ago about it. And he said, look, what is Canada going to do? Are they going to send in the RCMP to enforce federal law here? Or are they going to take over the government? This is very much one step away from separation. Mm-hmm. And this is very much, as you said, the nuclear option meant to sort of shake things up and create crisis in an attempt for Alberta to get more of what the government wants. So yeah, that's basically the point of it, I would say. I know that Barry Cooper had written an op-ed for the National Post, and he kind of suggested that the point isn't to muck everything up. The point is more to shake people out of their slumber, I guess, is to make people look at Alberta and look at the complaints and say, hey, yeah, maybe we need to relook at the constitutional order. Do you get a sense that that's actually what's going on here? Or is there a faction that may take this and say, screw Ottawa, we're going to go out on our own, we're going to do things on our own. And sure, maybe separation is a good thing. Or maybe, you know, being a distinct nation in Canada, like Quebec is, is a good thing. You know, there is a faction in Alberta that believes that. Its influence, I would say, is greatly over-exaggerated. You know, we sort of go through these sort of convulsions of of alienation and separatism every once in a while. And, you know, only once, I think, has an Alberta riding, it was old Didsbury in like 1983 or 1993, one of the two, actually elected a separatist politician to the Alberta legislature. The other independence parties that we've had over the years have been really ineffective and got very, very small shares of the votes. The Maverick Party, which is a federal party that is as close to being sort of a separatist party as as we would have, I would say, did really poorly in the last federal election. So there is a faction that wants to separate. I don't think it is very powerful. There is a much larger faction, much larger group of people who thinks Alberta is incredibly hard done by and wants to see the government do something about that. The question I think that is before the leadership candidates and before Albertans is what's the strategy here? Do you do you keep ramping it up with something like the Alberta Sovereignty Act? Do you ramp it up in hopes that something changes? And then if it doesn't change, what do you do? Then do you separate? Is there a referendum on separation? Or do you not ramp it up and you know, adopt a more conciliatory approach in an attempt to get things done in a different way without picking fights. You know, and I think Albertans need to sort of think about which strategy they want and which is going to be more effective. Because, you know, people in the rest of the country do not look at these sort of rounds of anger and self-pity and self-loathing. They're not, I don't think they're that interested in it. You know, you talk to people from Ontario and by and large, I think people don't understand why why Albertans are so angry. Mm-hmm. So I think the question is, you know, th- this is very much an internal Alberta politics thing. I think the question of effectiveness is still very much before us. I do find it interesting that one of the other, I guess, top three frontrunners who served as Jason Kenney's finance minister until recently has come out and said, it's not good for stability. It's not good for attracting investment to be saber rattling in this fashion. But on the flip side, you have Brian Jean, former Wild Rose leader, who is running as well, who's played up this idea of autonomy in his leadership kickoff. Is this something we're going to hear more about through the rest of the campaign? Do you feel that this is kind of really going to shape the race? I think it will for a certain period of time. 
this is really good, I think, red meat. This is really good whiskey in the bellies for, for people who want to get involved in provincial politics. What it isn't is policy, you know, in terms of how they're going to pay for and improve schools, how they're going to pay for and improve healthcare, how they're going to pay for and improve or make more efficient the delivery of services, how they're going to attract investment, how they're going to protect Alberta's parks, how they're going to develop a vision for economic diversification in the future. You know, there are actually all these other issues that are going on right now. And so while I do think we're going to hear a lot about autonomy and Alberta alienation and all these fun things that conservatives love to talk about, I do think at a certain point, we're going to have to talk about some other things. Mm. Broadly speaking, when people are talking about autonomy and people are talking about getting Alberta more power, well, how? If, if you want to have that discussion, and maybe there will be that discussion in a more robust sort of fashion, it's, it's you know, how actually do you intend on achieving this, I think is, is something that candidates are going to have to think about. Because as you sort of pointed out earlier, we, you know, we have four years of relatively unsuccessful fight back strategy stuff from Jason Kenney. So what are his successors going to do differently? Yeah. And I, you know, I guess we'll see how this plays out in the race and how UCP members decide on October 6th. In some ways, it doesn't matter what UCP members decide because there's an election in a year. Yeah. And so, you know, it's not just going to be 50,000 members of the United Conservatives. It's going to be, you know, several million people deciding what uh, vision of Alberta's future they want. Definitely. Tyler, thanks for your time. Always a pleasure. 103 is produced by Sean Knox, theme music by Bryce Hall. Thanks to my guest Tyler Dawson, more from him at nationalpost.com. I'm Dave Breckenridge. Thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.